the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like and come and join us in the chat. So great to be back with you live. Our thanks bud elliott who is just continuing to grind on the summer school uh series those of you who have been enjoying it uh, especially daniel in the chat just want to give a big shout out to bud for the awesome summer school series super informative and a must watch for college football junkies during the slow season awesome stuff keep up the great work we are we will um just a little gift for y'all in addition to our live hangouts lots to get to here on a wednesday that we've got the sec spring meetings underway great chance for us to be able to hear from some of the most prominent coaches in the entire sport and of course for an sec that is going to be adding texas and oklahoma in the 2024 season how how do, how do we get all these teams to play each other we'll get into that and much more but first We've got some re recent reporting from Dennis Dodd that is uh, continuing comments that we even had going in the group chat as athletic director Rick George has made it very clear that they are members of the Pac-12 now and exploring any other opportunities. Well, that falls under, um, you know, what athletic director Rick George has said, you know, we have to do what is right for Colorado at the end of the day. He had some of those comments a few days ago, similar comments made to our own Dennis Dodd. Dennis's reporting indicates that Colorado has been in, quote, substantive talk with the Big 12 about possibly joining the growing league. A source with knowledge of the discussions tells CBS Sports multiple meetings in person to discuss the possibility of Colorado joining the Big 12. The Big 12 also has its spring meetings going on right now. Um, Danny, when you're starting to, because you actually mentioned the Rick George quotes a few days ago, even before we had this recent reporting. So they're meeting in person. They're talking about potentially what might happen. What are you sensing out of the latest wave of, uh, of conference realignment conversation? So don't you feel like this is the first time there's been a little bit more 
willingness to embrace the possibility that it might include leaving the Pac-12? Like when he says we have to do what's in best interest of, uh, of Colorado, that has not been what you've heard from other athletic directors or presidents of schools in the Pac-12. It's always been, don't believe what you read. You know, we're committed to the Pac-12. Let's at least, at the very least, a lot of them are saying, well, let's see what, what the rights deal looks like first. This is the first time it really feels like you've heard somebody say, no, we've got to do what's in the best interest of Colorado, which I think opens the door a little bit more to the very real possibility that they could leave. But I do think like you... Like it's 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 a game of poker, right? That they're all playing right now because, and I think George Klyovkov has a really bad hand, right? And I think everybody kind of knows it. And Colorado's starting to show a little bit of their cards. Brett Yormark's already laid his down. He wants to be aggressive, right? He wants to try to acquire these, you know, however many schools he can get. So I just think it's the first time you've seen Colorado show a little bit of their hand that they'd be willing to listen. Can I just? Start with the one thing from Dodd's story that really stood out to me. Please. Before we even get into the what Danny's saying, which is true. I mean, there has been some talk or some like reading between the lines of comments that have suggested it's the case. But I also think part of the reason Colorado is saying this is because Colorado is one of the Pac-12 teams getting interest from the Big 12. But the one thing in Dodd's story that really stood out to me when I was reading it that really caused me to raise my eyebrows and be like, what the hell? Colorado will not make this move without the support of Deion Sanders. Why the hell does your football coach have any say in what conference your program is going to be playing in? Like, I understand they've hired Deion. They've given him the keys to the program. They're hoping he can revitalize the program, and I get all that. But if Al- Alabama wouldn't ask Nick Saban if it was okay if they could change conferences, like, Georgia's not oh, asking. Oh, yes, they smart. would. Well, no, I disagree. Not, why? You don't, think they would, be there you don't four think four years. Bama, you don't think Bama would run it by. You don't think the president, the athletic director, and anybody else would run it by Nick Saban if he was cool with it. Okay, maybe, but they're not leaving the SEC, so maybe that's a bad example. If this is like you know, any why would you ask your football coach if it's okay to leave a conference? Like this is a long term deal. Deion Sanders is not going to be the coach at Colorado when they reap the rewards if they leave for the Big Twelve. He has absolutely no impact on that. So if I'm this, if I'm in charge of the school and it's like, all right, we're going to go to the Big Twelve, we're going to get more money, and then Deion's like, no, it's like, oh, okay, I guess we can't go because the guy I hired and whose career I'm in charge of said no. That makes no sense to me. Bud Elliott joining the conversation. Bob, can you hear us? Okay. You guys got me? Yeah. Yeah. What's up? <laughs> is it bad? Okay. Uh, my my actual pod mic kept disconnecting it. I think Bama would ask Nick Saban, but I don't really think that they would make their decision based on what Saban says. Like if they would ask him, hey, what, what do you think about this move? How would it be for us competitively? Any kind of downsides? Like if you were a coach, would this make you not want to come coach here oh no you still make 12 million dollars a year we buy your house and, and do a life insurance thing and get you up to like 14 million okay cool like i i i thought it was a little crazy they're they're consulting mm-hmm. well if that's true that they're actually basing it on what Dion thinks that's nuts mm-hmm. i don't think it's crazy to ask your coach well, your coach is going to be responsible for recruiting. You want to find out what the recruiting impact is going to be when you go from the Pac-12 to the Big 12. You also, Not this coach. well, listen, you have already that's decided that you're going to move university standards 
in order to allow this coach to thrive. Like this is already unusual and not in an unusual bad way. It's just, we've already been breaking the norms of the athletic director, university head football coach relationship. So this to me is just another layer of that. Yeah, but you didn't make those. I mean, they made those changes because of Dion. I'm not arguing against that. But if you wanted your program to thrive under any coach, you probably needed to change those rules. And if you want your program to thrive long term because of financial reasons, it shouldn't be because you you shouldn't need your head coach's full support. Now, publicly, maybe, you know, you want him to say he supports it involved. Maybe he doesn't agree with it. But like Bud said, you can ask him about it, but he shouldn't have any say in what you're going to do about it, like the full support of it. But it's anyways, going back to, I guess, the original point, which is what Danny was talking about, like it is. I think the fact that Rick George and they're kind of saying this publicly is not the greatest sign for the Pac-12 because the other side of this is we've been hearing for months, you know, oh, the TV deal is going to be announced in a couple of weeks. It's going to be announced a month from now. And every time that deadline comes, it gets pushed back another month to where now it's been, you know, in June, July. Well, tomorrow is June. Is there any rumblings of a TV deal being there? No, there are rumblings of Colorado's keeping its ears open for the Big 12. So... I don't think it's a great sign for the Pac-12 television deals. Like Danny said, George Klyovkov has dealt a bad hand, and he's trying to make the best of it. But at some point, you know, you either lose all your chips or you fold. And I think that's kind of where things are headed. Does Colorado need another partner? Can Is Colorado the first school, or does Colorado get grouped in with someone else? Is Is the fact that Colorado is out here on the forefront of the conversations and we are not hearing as much from Utah. We are not hearing as much from Arizona and we are not hearing as much from Arizona state. Does that mean that they are more likely to go? Cause we have grouped the quote unquote four corner schools together, but there is not as much, you know, momentum, at least in terms of the conversation behind those other three as there is with Colorado. They could bring them in separate where they're, they're at what 14 now. Correct. I don't know if going to 15 would work. I would think you'd want a 16th, but they're still talking. You know, there were the, the rumors of we t- when we were gone last week. There were rumors that they're interested in UConn, which, okay, great. That's always a great sign for the Big 12. But I just, it, it could be UConn. It could be the Gonzaga thing that they're doing for basketball, or that wouldn't be football. I, I don't know. I do think that it's still going to be the four schools that they're going after. Colorado probably wouldn't make the move without a partner. I don't know if the Big 12 would make the move without the partner. So I I don't know. But the fact that you aren't hearing anything from Arizona or Utah doesn't make me think that there isn't stuff going on. I just think that right now with Dion in Colorado, that entire program is on display. Like everything they're doing is a documentary for the most part. So it's going to be hard to kind of keep these things under wraps. Don't you think uh, if you're your mark, you take one just to try to pressure the others if you yeah. have to, if that's your only yes. option? Yeah, I think so too. Because then it's going to diminish their rights deal. Like without one one less school, they're going to get a weaker. T- if you can get it done before that deal is on the table, before they see the offer, it's going to weaken that. So yeah, I think he would take. I think he would take Colorado, hoping to uh, be the first domino. When Missouri and Nebraska left the Big Twelve and Colorado, they didn't go together. Obviously, they went to different places, but wasn't it a trickle effect? Like one, then the other, then the other. I, I, you know, it was a long time ago in you know college football world but what what's what's y'all's memory of that i was trying to put that into perspective here on the fly nebraska was the first one right and then mizzou and then colorado 
I, mean, I can't remember. Like, it all bolts, bang, bang, it all blends bang. together. Yeah. Because the Pac-12 added Colorado while they also picked up Utah from the Mountain West. And, I mean, Utah's the other one that seems to make sense. I don't know. I'm admitting my ignorance. What is the Utah-BYU relationship at the administrator level? I mean, There's obviously. It's a holy war. <laughs> among the fans. But I'm saying, like, is there any reason why BYU would be uniquely motivated to keep Utah out? I don't know. I think I'm it makes a good travel partner and then you make yeah. it a you know like a annual rivalry game, but I'm I'm not in Salt Lake City. I don't, I don't wear those uh I don't wear those colors. I don't I don't understand what that relationship is like, but that's the other one where to me, Colorado and Utah, bang bang, makes sense. Colorado comes home, Utah is a travel partner for BYU. You expand so that you are still at 14 teams even after Texas and Oklahoma leave. You probably have your eyes on two more so that you can get to 16 and match the Big Ten and the SEC. I think that that is the end game for the Big 12. They want to have 16 teams. They want to be able to say that they've got as many teams as those other two conferences and you know piece it together or market it as best they can. So that's that, that would be my prediction of where this ends. I just don't know when. You, you said Colorado comes home. And I think that's interesting because there has been the aspect of this of Colorado returning to the Big 12. The Big 12 Colorado would be returning to will look nothing like the Big 12 that Colorado left. Like when Colorado was last in the league, they were in the North Division. The other teams in the North Division were Mizzou, Nebraska, Kansas, Kansas State, and Iowa State. Only three of those teams remain. In the South, there was Texas, Texas A&M, and Oklahoma. They're all gone. So this they'd be, quote-unquote, coming home but it's like returning in your 30s because you got divorced and you're moving back in with your parents and your dad has turned your bedroom into like his man cave so like you've returned home but it is not the home you remember if you were george if you were dion wouldn't you say we got to go to the big 12 or is there any chance you would say man let's stay in the pac 12 it's more winnable you know, or from a football competitive standpoint. I just don't think I'm I'm trying to play devil's advocate and look at the case for staying in the Pac twelve. I just don't know if there is one. That's why I think Pac twelve Pac twelve is dead. You know, like I, that's why I don't think oh, is it winnable? Not with Oregon no, and Washington in it. More but if they bounce, yeah, then it is. Well, yeah, for sure. Currently the way it sets up your competition, if you stay in the Pac-12 to win a conference championship, is going up against Oregon and Washington after USC and UCLA leave. In the Big 12, your toughest competition to win a conference championship after Texas and Oklahoma leave is what? Well, also Utah. And Utah, correct. Right. Sorry. Uh, I have blue chip ratio coming out on Monday. Oh, Nice. There is not a top 25 team in blue chip ratio in the new Big 12. There's wow. not a team that is, there's not a team in the new Big 12 that is three good recruiting classes away from being a national title level team. Wow. Is there one from the, is it Oregon? Would Oregon be in there? That'd be the one or, from or, the new. Oregon's in. Washington is closer than any Big 12 team. Utah is roughly about as good as any Big 12 team that, that way. Like the Big 12 is not a national title producing conference. I think it's much easier the new Big 12 than than the the new Pac-12 personally. If you're trying to win the whole thing. Right. Now, right. The depth in the Big 12 is pretty good. Cuz there's not a bottom. There like your bottom in the Big 12 is going to be talking about the new additions and <clears throat> West Virginia right. Kansas sort of. 
still competent like, programs. I have no idea if Stanford's ever going to be back, given what the portal's done to them and what they've not been able to do through the portal. So, Very interesting. Well, we will, of course, keep tabs on it. And, of course, our thanks to uh, the Dodd Father for keeping us up to date with all the latest. And coming up on the other side, we is, is Kirk Ferentz the AD now? Is, is, he the, is he the captain now? We'll get into that and more takeaways from the SEC spring meetings next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Sevilla have conjured magic on the way to a seventh Europa League final where they face European trophy specialist Jose Mourinho and his experienced Roma side in Budapest. It's today, Wednesday. Catch the Europa League final this Wednesday. Coverage begins at 2 p.m. Eastern time on CBS Sports Network and streaming live as you've been following Europa League and all the European competition on Paramount+. Plus. Again, that is this Wednesday, Sevilla, Roma, the Europa League final. Coverage starts at 2 p.m. Eastern time. You can watch it on CBS Sports Network or stream it on Paramount+. Plus. Tom, is anybody healthy for Roma right now? Yeah. Oh, you're muted. Tom, Tom pulled a bud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, they've got they've they've had a lot of injury and availability issues over there uh, in Roma. We'll see what their sort of lineup they're going to be able to trot out in Budapest. I would like to point out I did not mute my mic. Ooh, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. You know the ad we just went to. I'm hearing that in my ears right now. Okay, so, so we got. I don't know what's going on here. We're, we're messing our, with Thursday back in a while. You know, it's been ten days. Streamyard man, I'm telling you like. StreamYard yesterday was giving me tons of problems. Like StreamYard folks, we need a refund. <laughs> Bro, this, this is a CBS one. The, the yeah, the twenty four seven one. I, I finally got a corporate card, so I guess I'm, I'm not I'm not fronting the bill this year. But, <laughs> uh, uh, but let's let's start with you, Bud. So the with Gary Barta announcing his retirement, I just thought it was interesting to consider that Kirk. You you have long um, detailed Kirk Ferentz's hold on the state of Iowa taxpayer money and otherwise. Um, do you see this as the beginning of the end that a change in leadership might be able to expedite the, the force or the pressure should Kirk Ferentz start to see this tenure winding to a close because he's not going to coach there forever. So do you think that the change in athletic director is the, the beginning of the end for the Ferentz tenure? I don't think it, it prolongs his tenure. Uh, but I'm not really ready to say that it is the beginning of the end. 
I think there are very few athletic directors out there who actually get to solo make the call on a higher fire of a coach. It's generally understood this thing's not going to get turned around. The boosters are in agreement with it. The coach has lost the support of the boosters, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Ferenc, or Ferenc, excuse me, Kirk Ferenc, uh, got to say it correctly, is somebody who I think has a lot of booster support, obviously. Like, there's no way you could get away with doing what you've been doing if, if you didn't have a lot of boosters who supported you. And so I, it's hard to answer this question without knowing if, the boosters that support, you know, Kirk France are going to give the AD their type of support to make the moves that he wants to make. Do you think Gary Barter retired because he didn't want to have to fire uh, Brian at the end of the season? Yeah, he I didn't want to have to deal with that, or do you I, think he's just done? <laughs> Isaac in the chat, bold of you to assume Iowa isn't working on a way to make Ferentz live forever. That is, See? yeah, obviously you've got to consider this. Not, not that he would be a to answer your question. Not that he would be afraid to fire Kirk Ferentz, but I could see Gary Barta after his extended tenure with the program, just not wanting to go through it. Just not wanting to have to deal with that. I I know we approach this from the football angle, but there have also been a lot of problems in that athletic department that Gary Barta oversaw with like settlements for sexual assault, I believe cases in other sports. So I don't know that this is, and I I feel bad. I'm not hundred percent sure it's sexual assault. So I'm taking that back. I can't remember what the cases were, but there have been multiple things that they have settled and they have spent millions. Uh, Patrick Vent, who used to do Blackheart Gold Pants and now is at Go Iowa Awesome, was detailing them on Twitter when the Barta news was announced last week. I think that's got a whole hell of a lot more to go with Gary Barta not no longer being the athletic director there than anything Kirk Ferentz has done. I mean, Kirk Ferentz has booster support because he's won a whole hell of a lot of games over a long time at Iowa. So we can hate the way that they do their offense, but it's hard to argue that they haven't been successful on the football field. So I don't know what this means for Ferentz in the long term. I think he's probably still the most powerful person in that athletic department. If Colorado wants to go to the Big 12, they would probably need Kirk Ferentz's permission. So... I think that it's, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see who the hire is that replaces Barta. Maybe Kirk Ferentz takes the job. Maybe Kirk Ferentz steps down at the end of the year, becomes the athletic director, and then Brian becomes the head coach. Oh, please, please. <laughs> That's like 1970s college football athletic departments all over again, where the head coach is like, ah, I'm done coaching, but I still want to be around and walk around on the sidelines during practice. Uh, then. Danny, how did this uh, this news hit you? Probably the same way you guys are. I don't know if it has a big impact on Ference's job security. I mean, I think you got to be careful. I think it's just kind of tired of the same, but the same has been pretty dang good. You know, like eight you nine could always be Nebraska. You know, who cycled through four coaches. You could all, you know, like you just. It's not an easy place to win. He's found a way to win. I think the pressure, maybe it puts a little bit of more pressure some on his son if he doesn't obtain some of those goals. But the big picture, I don't know. I, I also, the other thing, too, I mean, Iowa was one of these schools. I, I just wonder, too, we've, we've heard about coaches getting out of the game, you know, going to the NFL, the NIL. I wonder at what point, too, administrations are nervous about what the future holds if we do go to a different landscape. I don't want to, I, it sounds like too many headaches. I don't want to have to learn new tricks. I'm just, let somebody else come in here and take over. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and take my millions and go. I want to clarify. It was not sexual assault. I will read you under Gary Barta at Iowa. This is from, again, Patrick Vint. 
Paid $6.2 million to the field hockey coach to settle discrimination claim. Paid $4.2 million to former players to settle discrimination claim. Paid $200,000 to a track coach to settle discrimination claim. Killed off four programs he wanted to kill for years during a global pandemic. Over the course, in the course of his three discrimination settlements, Gary Barta allegedly discriminated against a homosexual woman and her partner, a group of black football players, and a white guy, which is like, oh, the United Colors spend a ton of discrimination. Anyways. There's a whole hell of a lot going into this that's not just, you know, it's it's got nothing to do with the football program. It's got a lot to do with everything else. And I would clarify that my my question is more okay, there's new leadership in charge. I don't I don't I'm not well suited to look at Gary Barta's tenure and grade it. Right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that, that's just not something that I've got, but I do know that Barta was team Ferentz and that if you have somebody yeah. new in there, that at least introduces a, a little wrinkle to it. Um, one more little news since the last time we caught up in person. Um, we've got, is it the success incentive, the success initiative, or the success incentive initiative for the ACC? As uh, we have decided that t- schools will be paid out, uh, they are still going to get the same check evenly for regular season games. But when the money comes into the conference, based on postseason success and revenue sports, men's basketball, women's basketball, bowl games, and the college football playoff, that money will be dispersed to the schools that have been responsible for the money coming into the conference, more or less. Is this something that, um, Danny, is this something that you, I know we talked about it on on the radio show a little bit, but is this something that you see as a a positive step forward for the conference? It's a temporary Band-Aid. I mean, that's kind of what I've, it keeps people happy in the short term, but it still doesn't close that gap of 30 to 40 million, an extra 10 million. It helps, but it doesn't fill that gap. So I feel like it's it's just a temporary fix. You know, we we uh talked to Mike Elko at Duke, and he was great. He's one he's a great personality because he doesn't hold back. He just kind of shoots from the he just speaks his mind, which I really That's appreciated. Awesome. He had an interesting comment because we, I asked him about the ACC and that gap, and he he had the mindset, he's like, what more can you do? He's like, look at the facilities around the ACC, the SEC, and you know, he's like, what more can you spend on to make the players like that much? And But he did have a caveat. He said, as long as it doesn't become a part of the NIL pool, you know, like as long as it's not going to the players, then we'll all be fine. And I think that might be the biggest issue that could impact the long-term viability is if that TV money does start to go directly to the players, that's when you're dead as the ACC. So I think it's a temporary fix. I think it kind of kicks the can down the road, but ultimately it all comes down to, you know, what is the landscape of college athletics look like? And I do wonder if that type of change, if the SEC or big 10 do come in and they, who knows if they're going to be forced to do it or if they actually do it, but that's that's when you kind of see Armageddon, and that's when I think you could see you know the ACC forced to break up. I think this is good for Mike Alford to go back to the board and say, "Hey, uh, got something done, right?" FSU's AD and a couple of these other ADs as well. Danny's exactly right; it's a very short-term band-aid. All these ADs know the players are going to become employees sooner rather than later, and they will be Do getting they? cut. Of the, I think they like the thing is, it doesn't bother you if you're like the coach at Duke, because they're not going to be playing in that space. They're not trying to win a national title, right? There's like 20 teams out there that t- that sell their boosters on the idea of playing for a national title if they do everything right, okay? 
there's like three of those teams in the ACC. That's it. Mm-hmm. The other the other eleven don't Boston really College care competing on that level. Right. Exactly. And, and wait. So I mean, I, yeah, I think this is very short term. It also lets you paint the if you take care of business, if you're Clemson or Florida State, you win your league and you're going to the playoff, right? And you're still falling that much farther behind, it allows you to sort of paint the narrative, hey, we did all this stuff. We got the incentives. We're still forty or fifty million dollars short. This is why we gotta go. Go ahead, Tom. I was yeah, I I I've got nothing new to say about all this. This is this is a band-aid on a bullet wound. Like it's Florida State's going to be getting extra money if it makes the playoff. Clemson's going to be getting extra money if it makes the playoff, which is good for them. And you can argue that it's deserved if you want, but they're still going to be making as much as the five and seven team in the SEC in the Big Ten, if even that. You know what I mean? So like, or they'll still be making less. So less. yeah. So those teams will be passing them up. And in an age where NIL is going to matter more and more, you can't really afford to be falling behind. So while this kind of settles things and maybe calms the people down for a little bit. A couple years down the road, it's still going to be a huge problem. Like this conference is in very real trouble unless it somehow gets a new television deal. And I don't see that coming anytime soon because I don't just based on the way the networks, like their deals with ESPN based on like ESPN's history. Now there's new leadership in charge. So you can't really say that that's how it's going to go. But ESPN has always seemed more interested in making bigger, better conferences than helping fix current conferences, if you catch my drift. The ACC has been operating at a deficit to the biggest conferences at the highest levels of college sports for a while now. In the 90s and in the early 2000s, it was the most profitable. But guess what? The value of football has gone through the roof. The value of college basketball has diminished. And now all of a sudden, specifically in the BCS era, where the ACC, as I've said before, went 2-13 and 13 in BCS bowl games. Florida State won a title in 99. Florida State won a title in 2013. And every other time the ACC sent its conference champion to the Orange Bowl, they tripped over their feet and lost to Stanford or they lost to Louisville. And that fermented a reputation that not even two Clemson National Championships and a couple Heisman Trophies were going to be able to really reverse. And the ACC's value dropped. But the ACC was operating at a deficit when Clemson went to six straight college football playoffs and when Clemson made the national title game four times and won two national titles. I just, I think if you are trying to close the gap entirely, then you're not even being realistic to where you've been before. And if you've been able to get to the top of the mountain before, then, and I guess the the point about if this TV money is then going to players, then you're not going to be able to afford to keep up. You're going to become what? the Oakland A's or the Pittsburgh mm-hmm. Pirates, you know, if, if that, if that's what you're afraid of, I guess that is a, a different conversation, but in the, like how much more is more circling back to the Mike Elko point, the ACC has not been the wealthiest conference in college sports for quite some time. It's nice to be able to break off a little bit more to the teams that are bringing it in. But I, I think trying to close the gap is, is not even be a re- realistic about where you are. I would be thrilled if the gap just remained what it was. Or what, what what it is currently, Chip. I I think they're trying to future proof this thing to a certain extent because the gap is is set to grow exponentially, right? Like yeah. nobody's arguing that they can't compete right now. Six or seven years from now, you know, then yeah, that that's totally. And if you watched Alford's full uh, full address to the board about three months ago, to the point of like, are these ads conscious of this stuff? He definitely mentioned the, the likelihood that players become employees. Like the, the Carolyn Egan, their their general counsel, briefed the board on it uh, following him, and they talk about 
ongoing uh, athletics cases, the NL, NLRB and all, all that stuff. So I, I think they're very aware of it. When we did the episode and had Matt Brown and, and the legal experts on, they, they thought within four to five years, the guys are definitely employees. So like, that's where all they're all going. That would be 2028, I guess. Eight, yeah. And you'd still have eight years in the TV deal. Mm. Oh, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. oh, oh, man. Hey, speaking of ESPN, speaking of conferences, the, the SEC moving from an eight-game to a nine-game conference schedule, it would make sense, as we discussed here on a very fun show of trying to build a nine-game SEC conference schedule, it would allow some of these schools to be able to play each other all the time. It would make some schools' uh, schedules more difficult, and it also might have a value to ESPN. So we're going to dive into the eight-game, nine-game schedule debate and much more from the SEC spring meetings going on right now in Destin. Next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Back here on the Cover 30 podcast. Yeah, there's a lot to chew on coming out of SEC spring meetings. Um, you know, there is the field storming, court rushing conversation that we have addressed earlier on the Cover 3 podcast. You know, there is sort of under the radar a little bit of uh, an NIL discussion, especially with some of the states within the SEC's footprint passing new laws that have allowed the NIL operations to become a little bit more in-house and maybe even protect them from any kind of NCAA enforcement. And frankly, that's that's too much for me to be able to untangle right now. I'm going to wait until we get some, some more expert advice from Matt Brown and others on that one. But what I do understand is the eight-game versus nine-game uh, schedule debate because the SEC is about to move from a 14-team league into a 16-team league, and that's going to happen in 2024, which means they got to figure this out like now or next week or very, very soon at the least. Um, so what are, in your mind, like, Danny, in your mind, what are the big sticking points or what stands out to you within the eight-game, nine-game schedule debate? Uh, as we've heard from coaches and athletic directors on, on all sides of this, what seems to be the really important and difficult point to get everybody on the same page? Um, it's a good question. I So I thought it was done. Like I thought it was just going to, because it made so much sense and we did the schedules. Not that it was done, but like it was a, a pretty safe assumption to believe that's where we're headed. Now, I do think some of the pushback that you would get from Sankey and from the higher-ups is what we always hear about the SEC. Well, that's going to be so hard, man. That's just a gauntlet. We have one of the toughest conference in the land. We'll have teams with three and, you know, our best teams could have two and three losses just because they're playing against each other. And so it's built 
in this kind of mechanism that says, do we really want to bang heads against each other and prevent te- multiple teams from being in the playoff? That was the way I read it was that, th- and this is a genius move until somebody prevents you from doing it this way. Why wouldn't you make your schedule easier so that you have more bowl eligible teams, more teams in the playoff every year? You present, you know, you have more 10 win teams because you have four non cons, two or three are pretty easy. And it kind of helps the overall strength of the conference. That's what I that's what I think why they would they would go against it would be the preservation of what they've been doing and it's worked really well for them. Well, there are some forward thinkers here. According to uh, Sports Illustrated's Ross Dellinger, Florida, Georgia, Texas A&M, LSU, and Missouri are schools that support a nine-game schedule model. I think that Greg Sankey does too. Mm -hmm. And what he is hearing is pushback from people that say, what we should get more money if we are going to play one more game. And that's where I'm not your good media watch guy. But that's where it would be not the best look for ESPN in the midst of a summer of layoffs to all and also bidding on other media rights, big bids that are going to be coming up soon for them to also go back in and reopen a deal, which, according to my understanding, has no language that says we get more money for a nine-game conference schedule. It can be reopened for more money for new teams, but moving to a nine-game conference schedule does not automatically trigger higher payouts for some of these schools. That's where the Sankey quote is, the money, we don't follow the money, the money follows us. We need to be on the forefront of this, which to me is a little bit of like, look, ESPN, they set us up. They don't want Alabama against UT Martin. They want Alabama against a conference opponent because they those home games were going to be on their airways. This is about increasing the product for your media rights partner and a conf- another conference game is going to be much more attractive and rate better than whatever you are going to have from the non-conference schedule. That's BS if that's actually how they feel. Because wow. did, was when they were negotiating with ESPN, was the eight and night game conference schedule never brought up? We're supposed to believe that nobody ever thought of the idea that, hey, we're going to 16 teams. Maybe we're going to expand the schedule by a game. Of course, that was brought up. That's bull. That's uh, I almost said the word I can't say. That's crap. Here's what's happening. Nick Saban for years has been going saying we should play nine games. We should play nine games. We should play nine games. Suddenly he finds out one of his protected rivalries is going to be against LSU. And now he's like, I don't think we should play nine games. We should stick at eight and I'll just play Auburn every year and we'll rotate everybody else. And then there are the bottom half of the league who just want to keep going to bowl games. You want to make more money by playing an extra conference game? You will. You know why? Because you'll stop having to pay a million dollars to an FCS team to come to your campus every year. So you'll save a million bucks every year and you'll play an SEC team instead there. You've made more money. Stop being babies. Just do it. (laughs) I think Tom's right on this. Um, By the way, happy birthday to my son, Liam. Thanks for watching at home. So the four is up. Uh, is there any chance – do you guys remember when the Big 12 tried to sue ESPN for breaking its conference up? Yes. Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like and how the SEC couldn't be the ones that were bringing over Oklahoma and Texas. And so the Big 12's theory was that ESPN basically is the one that did the deal here. Is there any chance that Sankey told ESPN it would be nine games? And it's like, look, Saban's on board – nine games, of course. You can't really have a 16-team league with nine games without 
fully checking. Oh, that would mm-hmm. be incredible. With, with the membership. Oh, is there so any chance this is not a money play? Is there any, 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 is there any chance that Greg Sankey wrote some checks verbally that the rest of the league isn't ready to cash? Look at look at the reports about Kevin Warren and the Big Ten's TV deal, right? Hey, exactly what I'm thinking here, right? Like, because... Uh, I mean, I mean, come on, guys, guys, you know we're going to nine. Yeah. Here, come maybe, on. Like, of course we're going to be going to nine. Like, this is the deal got maybe the reason the deal got done was an understanding. Yeah, like that they would be yeah, going to nine games. Yeah. The SEC is paying all that money for the reason. Like they want SEC games. And they could sit again, they're crying. They just want they're afraid they're going to miss bowl games and they're afraid that's going to lead to coaches getting fired. But here's the other thing. Bowl games are going to become more and more meaningless every single year with the playoff anyway. Like going to a bowl game is not going to save your coach. Like going six and six is like, oh, well, we got to keep them. We won half our games. But you know what's even more valuable? Getting three or four SEC teams into the playoff. Mm -hmm. But you will. You're going to get three SEC teams in every year no matter what. He said he say I I I did not see this quote. So listen, let me be reckless as we tend to be here on the Cover Three podcast on May thirty first. But it's like he had some analytical model retrofit that is like if we had had a nine game conference schedule, here's what your records would have been. We wouldn't have had a big change in in your bowl eligibility. We wouldn't have had a big change in your college football playoff contention. Like. And then he adds on the, and remember the pandemic wasn't that great, which, um, excuse me, sir. But he was like the 10 game conference schedule. This was what our fans loved. You know, we only got to play each other and this is the greatest thing that could happen. It's a, it's a lot of push from one of the most powerful people in college athletics. And it's interesting to me that he might not get his way. My prediction here is that they go to an eight game conference schedule the first year with Texas and Oklahoma. It is one permanent rival, seven rotating rivals, and they do that for a couple years, maybe even the first two years of the college football playoff, and it's not until we get the next college football playoff contract that we start to see a full reconfiguration of the conference. If they stick to eight games, the C and SEC stands for cowards, period. Yeah. <laughs> Flip it. For sure. Do you, what do y'all think? How do you think this ends? Nine games. I think it's a whole lot of saber rattling. I think Saban's trying to get an easier protected rivalries, which going back to what we were doing on the show when we did our SEC protected rivalries, that was one of the things I was arguing. Alabama's not going to want those three teams, but ESPN and the SEC would. So Saban's trying to get out of one of those games. I think that they would settle for LSU Auburn and getting rid of Tennessee. I don't know, but he's trying to get an easier opponent. Maybe that's one of the the things. If you get Saban on board, I think that's enough votes, is it not? Because you mentioned some of the schools that are already on board with a nine-game schedule. So I think you've just kind of got to flip Nick. And maybe Nick, you know, he's friends with Joe Manchin. He understands the importance of leverage and power of being a deciding factor in a vote. And he's learned some lessons, and he's using that right now to get what he wants. And then they will go to the nine-game schedule. Over, under one and a half seasons on how long they play games over under over under I I could see him do it I could see him doing it for one year capitalizing on the excitement of bringing Texas and Oklahoma in ESPN be like Greg get it done 
Dance, I monkey dance. Said, bro. That's what my buddy Joe Gilio said. <laughs> Joe Gilio said this is the yeah, Ovius and Gilio fantastic podcast. If you want to voyeuristically awesome look in on Triangle Media, um, he said this is the dance monkey dance moment that ESPN threw out the symbols and was like, all right, come on. We, we backed it up. You know, we, we, we let all this happen. You know, now it's now it's time for you to pay up on this. Um, I I think it's two because that actually does let you cycle through. That you do two because it's the one and the seven, and then the one and the other seven. All right. If I said it two, you can't push. You going over or under? Under three more likely? No, 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 no. No, because that's where the expansion of like I would not be surprised if the new college football contract expands again. That if they push it out to sixteen, and then the idea that you've got a three-loss SEC team is not a big deal because those extra at-large bids that would come with an expansion from twelve to sixteen are going to the SEC in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Do we need a vote on this from from the league? Like, is it actually in the bylaws that the league members have to vote on this, or do they just are they taking the temperature and then Craig Sankey decides? Not sure. Where's Brandon Marcello? He's yeah, there. That's actually something we need to. This is a, this is a great Brandon question. That <laughs> I'm I'm gonna count on him. I'm gonna to text. I'm gonna text Brandon right now. Actually, they, yeah. I, they didn't teach me SEC voting rules and civics in eighth grade. I only know the government. Um, let's. See. They need two thirds <laughs> approval. What do they need for veto power? I don't know. Um, Does Stanky get a veto? Because <laughs> that could be it right there. Well, he's like, yeah, we're gonna do what I want. Yeah, I I think it is. Uh, kick it down the line. You spend two years where everybody gets to see everybody, and then when the new you know, college football playoff contract starts, which probably involves ESPN and more opportunities for money and you know, yada, 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 that, that that sort of allows for yet another reset. I mean, Big Ten still hasn't figured out what it's going to do with USC and UCLA either. So we got a, a lot mm-hmm. to figure out from the scheduling front. Um, that is not the only headlines that we've had coming out of the SEC spring meetings. Um, what... What has stood out? You know, we've had uh, some Eli Drinkwitz making headlines. That's a that's, that wasn't on my bingo card for this week. Um, what what, did, what stood out um, from some of the comments we've had from some of the coaches? That one, we have it right. We can hear it. Oh, producer Jordan, we got it. All right, let's roll it. We see uh, issues in gambling arising. What's your approach with your team about that issue? Is there an element of surprise, or was that just kind of inevitable in your mind? Uh, y'all really are trying to get me in trouble here. <laughs> um, there's just not enough. I mean, we're trying to give. Actually, Deion Sanders had a really good quote the other day talking about young men are uh, joining a business, but we want to treat them like kids. Um, we're giving guys 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 year old life changing money. People are making more money in NIL than my brother in law, who's a pediatrician who saves lives. Uh, and we kind of do it cavalier. And we think that there's not going to be any side effects or there's not going to be issues. I mean, um, there's information out there. There's bad actors out there always trying to make a dollar. They're involved um, in running around campuses trying to gather information. Like, I, I think it's probably gonna, it's going to become one of the key issues uh, that we face in our locker rooms. I mean, the NFL's faced it more high profile than I've seen it uh, in the last 15 years in the recent you know, two years. So I think it's more prevalent because there's more money involved. Um, and everybody's looking for a quick way to make a dollar. Um, and so, you know, I've been known to play blackjack myself. So 
you know, I don't, it, it's a tough deal. And like I said, the, these young men are getting a lot of money that is uh, a lot right now. And they're not uh, other than trying to hand out advice um, and provide some parameters to it. You know, we talk about in recruiting, you, you recruit your own problems. You know, with this NIL situation, we've created our own problems in college sports. Mm. Uh, Marcelo hit me back, by the way, and said that, that they actually do have to vote. The athletic directors vote on Thursday. The presidents fr- would vote on Friday morning. Uh, Senke cannot break the tie. Vote fails if a tie. And they have to reintroduce the proposal. Vote until there's not a tie, pretty much. Simple majority, 8-6. Same as Joe Manchin. Mike <laughs> Fly would have never stood for this. Um, yeah. All right. So, Danny, back to uh, back to Trinkwitz. So he was getting skewered, right? And I think you can tell where a coach is on the hot seat by how quickly he responds. Do you see him take right to Twitter after? It was like 45 minutes later. Yes. He's like, I am not against NIL, even though every coach deep down inside feels exactly the way he does. Like, they don't like the problems that it brings to you. Um I thought they were take I thought they were blown up a little bit. I think some of those concerns are valid, but my goodness, is it easy to absolutely skewer you when you make about 10, 15 times as much as the pediatrician who's saving kids' lives? Like that's where it looks awful. Like you should have just kept that one out of your mouth and everything else would have been okay. You know what? He brings up some good points. But the hypocrisy that it looks like when you compare the players making more, but not yourself. Like it just—that was why it was so easy to rake him over the troll. Football coaches say his brothers text to him. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, his brother's blowing him up, right? Like you, you saw him texting there on the podium. If you guys are watching this live on YouTube, YouTube.com/slash Cover Three, like and subscribe. Like he's texting you in the middle of the question. Are we even sure Eli listened to the question, or are you just like, okay, yeah, gambling—they have more money now. All right, like, if, if I'm Eli's brother, a pediatrician saving lives, I'm like, bro. You, you paid a million dollars per win. Like you're a replacement level coach at Missouri. <laughs> you're literally like like mid as well. You do exactly roughly about within the expectation range. Never better. Never really worse. You're playing out the deal. You got one extension. Oh, like like dude, you don't save lives. Like you don't. Eli's brother better be ripping the hell out of him over text. Uh, I did the phone. Blo- I don't know. He's probably not watching live because he's saving lives. But if he did, it'd be fun to see the phone uh, blow up there. Um, <laughs> I got to jump in right after this, go over the 24 seven sports YouTube channel. We're doing a transfer portal review show with uh, the new ranking. So I'll see you guys. I got to go do sound checker over there. Later. Later. I, I will just say like, I agree. Like the way he made his point was not the best way, but I think overall he's not against NIL. He's against how it's just the Wild West right now and there really aren't any regulations and there needs to be better ways, not just, you know, because these kids are making too much damn money, but to prepare these kids for what to do with their money. And I think that's something that we're dealing with, not just in college football. I think that's been a problem in like our education system for a while. Like when we were in school, they didn't teach us anything about finances. Like you had to go to college to study that. So it's like, I just feel like these are basic things that when you're 18 years old, you're not really prepared for it. All of a sudden you're getting like a $250,000 deposit in an account. You don't know what the hell to do with that money. So I think, yeah, there's bad actors. There's all that. But I just think that they're, I think the overall point he's trying to make is that we need to figure out something, which I don't know that we ever will. We might just have to play it by ear the entire time, but I don't know. It's, it's hard when you go from zero to 60 like that. 
But haven't we learned, like, didn't, this was a big criticism of the NBA when they let players come out of high school go straight, oh, they're too, they're too rich too soon. They're too mm-hmm. young to understand what it takes. When I would argue that, yeah, there's some issues that you have to deal with, right? You have bad actors out there that are trying to maybe, you know, charge you 30% on what you're making or whatever it is. But aren't those issues a lot better than what these kids are dealing with coming out from the neighborhood yes. they are and then bad like in, in the other issues that they could have where there are legitimate bad actors that are trying to do way worse things than to overcharge you or you know take some of your money away from you? Like I that's where I kind of like haven't we learned from the criticism of other sports? I don't love it. Trust me, I think there's a lot of jealousy too. I mean, I don't love the fact that there's an 18-year-old that could be making $8 million to go to Tennessee. I'm like, man, we're here, you know, working our tails off. Can't we get some love? It's just life's not fair. And everybody Probably. has to be more okay with accepting that. 18-year-olds going on guys' trips to Greece, you know, while we're sitting here working. Can you imagine? That's but right. like, <laughs> I, I mean, I, like you're saying, though, like money, suddenly having money will not fix everything for you, but it does provide easier path to things that will help fix problems for you (laughs) right like i saw joel klatt said you know this is going to lead to mental health issues which maybe it does i don't know i mean maybe there's some you know because and i'll say this from a personal standpoint i had a hard time dealing with life after the nfl like all of a sudden when you stop making a million dollars it's tricky and what do you do with your life but again that problem is a lot easier to solve and address than some of the problems that some of these players are having to face if they never had this money on the table. Yeah, the jump from gambling to NIL was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because I am curious about the gambling impact. Like, I think that could be, I think we're at the tip of the iceberg of what potentially we could see this fall if they start, you know, enforcing it the way they have already at Iowa, Iowa State, Bama, baseball, the NFL has come down hard. Like, could you imagine? I mean, the baseball coach at Alabama got fired because mm-hmm. of a gambling scandal. Could you imagine if that, I'm not even to say Saban, but any Power Five coach was fired because of a gambling controversy, which is not that outside of the realm of possibility. Not surprising also that the alpha nerd admitted that he likes to play blackjack. That guy counts oh, cards. Yeah. There's oh, no question yeah. that guy sees all the numbers. He said, I'm banned. He should have been like, I'm not allowed to play anymore. Yeah, I'm so good at that. Yeah, no, no shock there. Um, also, and I mentioned this earlier, this is, uh, this is something that, again, I don't fully, I haven't really wrapped my head around, but I understand it's significant. But Missouri is one of the states that has new NIL legislation, which allows a high school mm-hmm. athlete to get NIL money before they're even on campus and I don't know if I've got this last part right. If they commit to an in-state school, like I what? Like, <laughs> Eli Drinkwitz. And by the way, Eli Drinkwitz, when the law was passed, I think he tweet retweeted it and he said, This is a quote game changer. Like he is very much excited about the way that Missouri, the state of Missouri, is making it easier for Missouri football to compete in the NIL landscape. It is laws like what is happening in the state of Missouri that has um, college football coaches and athletic directors in other states worried that it's an uneven playing field. And the SEC is one place where it's really happening for him to be critical of NIL. That was, that was a little bit of a surprise to me. My initial response to that was, Ooh, this should make it easier for Illinois to recruit East St. Louis because that's in Illinois. It's not in Missouri. So there's a lot of talent in that area. So, Hey guys, can't get that money like your friends over there on the other side of the border can't so you better come to illinois instead i 
L L. <laughs> we will be back with you tomorrow, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Opening up that big old bag of mail. It's been a minute. We're excited to hear from you, of course. And we really love this. Um, the Those of you who watch with us live, uh, always giving us good questions during the show. But also those of you who are showing up early and going ahead and dropping your questions in the chat, youtube.com slash cover three, we're able to see those before the show starts and even be able to get to them right off the top. So come on in, join us, throw in your question live. And of course, if you want to add a question to the big old bag of mail, go give us a five-star review. And in that review, put your mailbag question. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Danny Cannell and him at Bud Elliott 3 Follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Tom, thank you very much. Thank you. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.